Okay, y'all. Um, electronic devices, click, Bibles underneath in front of you. Uh, we are in our third sermon in a series uh, called The Deep End that has been inspired by a book that has come out by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. I think we're going to have about 100 of those come in in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it would be a great book for all of us to read. Uh, the leadership of the church is actually going to go through this book uh, during uh, leadership meetings. Uh, the staff, obviously, will be going through this book as well. We'll have discussion groups. We probably will have a discussion group, a Sunday school discussion group uh, in the 9 a.m. hour. Anyhow, highly, highly recommend this book. Uh, this is touching on the heart of God. Um, now, the heart of God and the work of God are interdependent, uh, uh, inseparable, and yet there's a, a distinction there that's very important to tease out so that we can see God's heart as well as God's work, which mutually inform each other, mutually explain each other, uh, and mutually reach us. And so that's why we're doing this. Um, and so here, let's get started. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. Uh, what I'm about to say right now is probably going to shock you. So let's just get that over with. Uh, what if I told you that amidst all the chaos that's going on today, all of it, I mean, pick your, pick your poison, right? Pick the ideological, the cultural, the racial, the political, the power plays, um, the educational. Uh, pick all of it, all the chaos. What if, what if everyone actually agrees? Right? What if, really, everyone's all in agreement? And I know now you're thinking, this dude is really crazy. You need to go back on vacation. No, what if that is the case? What if everyone is unified? What if everyone is in agreement about one thing? What would be that one thing? I think... And I'm going to tell you, I think everyone is in agreement over change. Everyone has a vision for change. Everyone is unified around change. Everyone feels the need for change. Everyone's seeking change. So that's a place to start. Right? There's a place. There's a place of unity right there. Now, what about this? What if Ephesians 2, 1 through 7 said, what if all multi-level change came down to changing one thing? So while there are a clamoring of, of a million things that people want to see change today, inside the church, outside the church, it's so multi-leveled and it's so complex and it's even so complex, not many of us even, even understand it all. But what if multi-level change personally, interpersonally, in the home, in the academy, at work, in the gym, at school, what if multi-level change came down to changing one thing? Your view of God. Now that would be something. 
That would be revolutionary. Now that would be a movement I can get behind. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. We'll be here, I'll be here, just figure out which way works. All right, here we go. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, it's actually a little more, in the original, it's a little more like you're in it. It says basically, in the course of this world. And if you're Paul in other places, that word course could be age, so it could be you're in the age of this world. And in other places, he calls this world a present evil age. So you're in a realm of evil. Following, or you're in, amidst the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. But God... You being dead, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now, I don't even have time to spend all on this, but I want you to look at that, made us alive together with Christ. Paul made up that word. That's a made-up verb. In all the ancient world, in all ancient literature, there is no word of such a thing like that in the Greek. He took two verbs, blended them together, and a preposition, and molded them together, and came out with this new gospel word. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. All right, please be seated. So, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Oh, Lord, would you grant the reality of, like, Ezekiel, that we're in a valley of dry bones, that we are a valley of dry bones. But as, as we hear your words, the bones start rattling. Flesh and organs and muscles start coming together tendons and ligaments, and the complexity of being alive takes place. Oh, grant it, Lord, grant it. Amen. Okay, so this is a third sermon in a row that's designed to do one thing. It's just real simple. So if you want to know, like, what's the goal? What's the aim? What's the text doing? What are we doing for these next, like, three more weeks that we're here before we jump into Judges and Galatians? What's the one thing? That this passage and these sermons are designed to do. It's real clear. Here it is. Change our view of God. And by changing our view of God, multi-level changes would take place in all facets of our life, our relationships, and our places. What if that was true? It would certainly unify the church and its mission in its worship, in its community. It might make things just a little more ordinary and normal. 
So what specifically needs to change about our view of God? That's the question of the text this morning. What specifically needs to change about our view of God? What does my view of God need to change? What specifically about my view of God needs to change? Your view. Look at your neighbor. What view of God do they have that needs to change? Your home. The academy. Your school's view of God. Waco's view of God. The culture's view of God. What specifically about... All our view of God needs to change. The answer is found in verse 4. Look at verse 4. But God being rich in mercy. Do you see it? You see what needs to change? Here's what we believe. But God being poor in mercy. We believe. You believe. All of us believe. In a poor in mercy, God. And Ephesians 2 wants to change a poor in mercy, God, into a rich in mercy, God. It wants to start a movement of mercy. So let's get started. And here's how we're going to start. Please don't take my language to be like demeaning or like I'm making fun of anything, because I probably am, but just look over it, okay? Here's how we go. Okay, since everyone is reimagining everything today, okay, I want us to reimagine God. But here's what we're going to do. It's going to be a little, there's a little trick to it. What would it look like to reimagine God to be poor in mercy using our text? So we're going to rewrite the text, we're going to reimagine the text, but we're going to do so in a way that makes God not rich in mercy, but poor in mercy. So what would you do? Well, the obvious thing that we would do, the starting place, is what we just did. We would go to verse 4, and we would rewrite God being rich in mercy, rewrite it, reimagine it to be God being poor in mercy. Very simple, right? I mean, ding, bang, done. That's it. But if you really wanted to reimagine God to be poor in mercy. If you really wanted to reimagine the whole God of the Bible, you only have to do one thing in this text. You only have to change or reimagine or rewrite one word in this text, and it changes God completely. It completely makes him poor in mercy. completely rewrites the whole Bible. It all comes down to one word. Can you find it? It's okay. If you want to look down at the text, you can. Real quick, see if you can find it. Look at verse 1. And you were, here it comes. Here comes the one word that you got to reimagine if you want to rewrite the God of the Bible. Here's one word that you want to rewrite or reimagine to change who God is from being rich in mercy to being poor in mercy. Here's the word. Let's reimagine it this way. And you were drowning. Help! Help! I'm drowning, you shout. It's really not funny. But let's say it's happening. And religion, 
walks by the bank and religion hears your cries. Help, help, I'm drowning. And religion looks out and sees you out there. And religion ends up shouting instructions to you. Starts saying, hey, hey, you, yes, you, move your arms like this. Swim like David. Get your legs kicking like Michael Phelps. Keep your head above the water. Here's how you can keep your head above the water. So religion comes by and shouts instructions. Help, help, I'm drowning. And a life coach sees you from the bank, hears your cries, and says, shouts of encouragement. Dude, you can do it. You're okay. Stop the negativity. Be better. Believe better. Do better. Suck it up. Help, help, I'm drowning. And the activist walking by the bank sees you. And the activist shouts, I'm coming. I'll save you. I can save you. Help, help, I'm drowning. The academy walks by the bank and looks at you out there and decides it needs to teach you a new critical theory about life. You're not drowning, really, the theory says. In fact, drowning is now the new healthy, the theory says. But if you are drowning, you just need to know it's not your fault. Help, help, I'm drowning. And the church walks by. Do I hear a scream? And the church looks out there and says, hold on, I've got just what you need. And the church throws out the Jesus life preserver. And the church shouts, listen, all you need to do is grab it. All you need to do is believe and repent and forsake sin and get serious and be passionate and follow 500 pages of discipleship techniques and access the Holy Spirit and obey and surrender all and Jesus will save you. That's all you have to do. A poor and mercy God sees a drowning person and gives instructions, or gives encouragement, or inspires, or tries to activate you, or wow you, or tosses Jesus' life preservers to you. There's just one problem with a poor and mercy God. It never rescues you. It never really rescues you. It's not a savior. Ephesians 2.1. And you were, if you want to rewrite the Bible, change this word. If you want to change who God is from being who he truly is, which is rich in mercy, to being poor in mercy, just change this word. One word. And you were 
dead. The literal translation goes like this. And you being dead, not were dead, past tense, present tense, being dead. So it's much more spooky. It's as if Paul wants to say, listen, he's writing to Christians and he's writing to the church, but it's almost like he's all of a sudden the doors start opening to the church and the walls start disappearing and he starts reimagining the world and he's speaking to everybody and he says, listen, this is reality and you being Present tense changes everything. What do you mean, Jeff? Well, it means this. Hollywood, big media, pop culture, uh, literature, you know, literature meaning books, magazines, all kinds of printed cyber literature, everyone that's chasing everything down today. You got religions, ideologies, politics, even the CDC, right, are fearfully imagining a coming cataclysmic apocalypse. I mean, The Walking Dead made millions off of this, right? A zombie apocalypse, right? It's coming, and they're showing. I mean, everything from asteroids. I mean, look at all the end times things that go on. Look at all the coming apocalypses that come on, except the Bible says it's not just coming. It's already here. And you were dead. You were dead. You don't have to wait for a zombie apocalypse. It's already here. You struggle with why you do what you do. What's wrong with me? Why can't I stop? Why don't I stop? And you were dead. Explains you. You try to live the Christian life. You're like, I want to love God. I want to love people. I, I want to do what's right. I, I want to read my Bible more and pray more. I want close communion with God. I want to be generous. I want to bless people back to life again. I want to be a part of God's mission. But it's so hard. It's, it's so hard. And you were... Yes, right? You start saying, but, but I'm a Christian, so being dead is, right? Isn't, didn't something change? Yeah, something's changed. But it's fascinating. It's a cataclysmic change, which we're going to look at. But as a Christian, the Bible describes there's still an old self. And when the Bible describes the old self that's in you, it says it's dead. Being. You get so angry at everything that's going on today, right? You look at everything that's going on. You've never felt so out of control. You're like, people are crazy. The world has lost its mind. You just you scream at the TV. It never goes on at our house. What in the world's happening? The world is so unsafe. And you being dead. But the text actually continues. So let's look at what the text says when we keep reading. There's also, the text says, not just that you're being dead, but there's a place called the realm of the dead, an actual place, an age of the dead. 
following the course, as we saw, or better translation, following the age of this world, and Paul calls the age of this world this present evil age, or this present evil realm, a dark power. But let's keep reading, because not only are we being dead, not only are we a zombie, and we live in the world of the dead, of the zombie apocalypse, but also there's this dark lord of the dead with us, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. People are crazy. Everyone's losing their minds. Yeah. Absolutely. Of course they are. The zombie apocalypse is already here. So let's listen to um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 again, but this time let's not reimagine it, okay? Let's not reimagine it. Let's just listen to it. Let's listen to the power of this passage. And you being dead, okay, the next question should be, so then, all right, I'm dead, but where is this realm of the dead? In the trespasses and sins. Okay, so sin is the realm of the dead. In which you once walked, again, in which you once walked. You're in it. Do you see that? This is something you're in. Following the course of this world. Again, the original translation says you're in it. You're not doing it. You're in it. You're not doing trespasses and sins, the text is saying. You're in trespasses and sins. See the difference? It's very, very important. Following the prince of the power of the air. So again, we're what? In it. It's incredible. The spirit that is now, and just in case we missed it, the spirit that's now at work in, in us. This gets even more diabolical. We're, we're in a realm of the dead, and then there's some dark lord of the dead that can actually be in us. That's scary. The sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in again, not doing the passions and the desires of the flesh, but in them carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And just in case we missed it, we were by nature who we are, our very being, our very self, the deepest, most defining and driving parts of our personality and our thinking and our feeling and our experiences and our relationships and the way we handle life by nature as children of wrath. Sin is ultimately not something we do, it's something we're in. We do trespasses and sins because we're in them. It is utterly futile to try to change your life by just clipping off the bad fruit in your life when the tree is staring you in the face. Remember what Jesus says? Jesus walks up to people and must have blew them away. He says, he looks at them and he says, hey, see those spots on that leper? You can't change the spots on a leopard. A leopard has spots. You can paint white paint over it, red paint over it. But a leopard has spots. 
human beings are dead. Golly, this is fantastic, happy sermon. Yep, I know, I know. So here's what happens. Religion, the life coach and the activist, right? And who else did I have in there? The academy, the church, they all walk along the river. So let's revisit our little, help, help, I'm drowning. Let's say, okay, now religion goes for a walk along the river. The activist, the coach, the academy, and the church goes for a walk along the river bank. And what happens? Nothing. They see nothing. They hear nothing. Because nothing and no one is there. We're all dead on the bottom. But God, but God, but God being rich in mercy, hear that again, but God being, being is so important, but God being, so what does being mean? Being, if, if being dead was defining who we are, being merciful defines who God is. Who is God? But God being. This is who he is. Rich in mercy. Who are you, God? I'm rich in mercy. What, what drives you, God? What defines your existence? What, how do I know who you are? How can I count on who you are? I'm rich in mercy. But... My situations and my circumstances are saying this about you. I'm rich in mercy. The person that criticizes me and disrespects me is saying this about me. But I'm rich in mercy. Dane Ortland notes about this text. He says, nowhere else in the Bible is God described as rich in anything. The only thing he is called rich in is mercy. The only thing God is called rich in mercy. Mercy. How does this change your view of God? How does this help us shed our poor and mercy God that we believe in, that controls our thinking, that controls our feelings, that controls our life experiences, that infects our relationships, that poisons our culture, that poisons the academy, the media, politics, institutions and positions of leadership? How do you shed a poor and mercy God? Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is unbelievable. In other words, the mercy of God by nature engages death. The mercy of God. In other words, listen. The only solution, the only solution to being dead 
is for dead to be killed. That's the only solution. And God, being rich in mercy, engages death and kills it and makes you alive. This is so breathtaking. This is so cosmic. This news is so revolutionary that no one believes it. That God, being rich in mercy, sees you in the realm of the dead and mercy becomes a man and goes into the realm of the dead takes your place. You see, in order for us to get out of the realm of the dead, a ransom has to be paid. A payment must be administered. A debt is owed. When you owe death, your death debt has to be paid. When you're in sin, sin doesn't let you go until it's punished, it's killed. The dark lord of this realm has all the legal rights to you and all the dynamic influence over you. A man must go into the realm. And a man must pay the ransom. And a man must pay the debt to set you free. And God, being rich in mercy, became that man. And while he's there, sin tries to hold him. We got him now. And you in the process. Death tries to hold him. We got him now. And he'll never set them free. And the Lord of the dead tries to hold him. We got him now. The world is ours. Until it wasn't. And he rises from the dead. Because he's God. He's the Lord of the dead. The Lord over sin. And takes you with him. And God, being rich in mercy, because he loves you, made you alive. He didn't yell instructions to you. He didn't encourage you. He didn't activate you. He didn't woo you. He rescued you. Hollywood, pop culture, media, ideologies, literature, religions, even the CDC, live in fear of a coming cataclysmic doom, possibly another pandemic, whatever it is. And maybe this one legit is. 
turning everybody into zombies. Who knows? This text says it's already here, though. And you being dead. And you is in the plural. But God being rich in mercy makes us alive together with Christ. So what do you do? You live without fear. You're alive in an apocalypse. And you know what else you do? You keep living in his mercy. Because there's only one safe place on this planet, and it's not being vaccinated. It's the mercy of God. Get vaccinated if you need to get vaccinated. Don't take this as a political statement, please. You struggle with what you do and why you do it. What's wrong with me? Why can't I stop? Well, and you being dead. The text explains you. That's why. That's why. The old self is dead. It can never be made alive. It's a futile attempt to try to make it alive. It can't be instructed. It can't be coached. It can't be wooed. It's dead. It does what death does. It needs to be killed. And you made alive with a whole new self. And that's exactly what mercy does. And the Christian life is learning to live in Jesus and his salvation and not in your old self anymore. And you get angry at everything that's going on today. You've never felt so out of control. People are crazy, right? Everyone's lost their mind, and this text explains it all. And the world is the realm of the dead. Not only are you dead, but the world is the realm of the dead. And the world is being led and ruled by a lord of the dead. Nobody wants to talk about. <laughs> Maybe I'll go back into Revelation and just kind of make us think about that reality again. But God, being rich in mercy, makes people in this apocalypse alive in Christ, with Christ. And so what does this mean? This means his mercy is always moving towards messed up people. So you don't have to be angry at them. You're messed up. They're messed up. You need mercy. They need mercy. We all need mercy. So let's think of a different way of interacting with people. Let's be, like, merciful and persuasive. Let's be bold and brave. Let's stand for what's true. Let's not let dead turn into drowning in the church. Let's not let a poor and mercy God replace a rich and mercy God in the church. And in doing so... Man, mercy rushes to your homes and your marriages and your parenting and your church and your community and the rec center, your schools and the academy, the media, all kinds of places. It's time to shed. It's time to shed a poor and mercy God. Shed him. It's time to live, breathe, a rich in mercy, God. Amen.